hey everyone and um, welcome to Somatic. Um, we got just a, a little bit of an extended intro here um, <clears throat> as we introduce this uh, this mini-series that we put together. It's just a two-episode mini-series, um, but we had the opportunity uh, during the COVID uh, lockdown kind of period um, to talk with a couple of people who had some um, some really valuable, insightful viewpoints on yoga and yoga culture. Uh, it's something that come to the forefront as people were looking for ways to be kind of physically active, um, but engage kind of um, mental, emotional, spiritual health uh, in and around the pandemic. And uh, it was a great opportunity for us to uh, dive into looking at yoga as people were starting to take that up more and more around the world. Um, I have uh, Sam on the line here. Hello. Hello. Uh, hey, Sam. How you doing? Um, and he is going to introduce this first episode that we have today. Um, and uh, I'm going to turn over to him in a second. He's just going to set it up and then we'll get uh, right into uh, into the episode. And then we'll flip flop and you'll hear a bit, me- bit more from me uh, when you listen to the second episode in the miniseries, which should be coming out uh, shortly. So here you go. Uh, here's Sam. Yeah. Thanks, Oliver. Um So I talked back in June with uh, Dr. Andrea Jan, who's a professor of uh, religious studies um, at uh, IUPUI, I believe, in uh, in Indiana. Um, And we talked a little bit about, so she's written a few books, a couple books now. Uh, The first book's on the history and um, sort of the development of and popularization of yoga, modern postural yoga. Uh, so we talk a little bit about the history of yoga, um, sort of the contextual factors, the transnational dynamics in the popularization of yoga uh, within the Western world, particularly in the uh, 1900s into the 20th century and the rise of mass consumerism. And then she's recently written a new book that's published by Oxford University Press titled Peace Love Yoga, which gets into... Um, some of the cultural politics and um, and the economics of yoga, the commodification of yoga in the 20th century, its connections to neoliberalism, um, and a lot of those other critical topics. Uh, so we thought it'd be uh, we thought it'd be great to um, to d- dedicate uh, an episode to an interview with with Dr. Jan, so we can talk a little bit about get a little bit more of a critical cons- uh, perspective upon a topic that I think has become even more sort of relevant and important for a lot of people today, particularly in this era of uh, you know COVID nineteen and sheltering in place and social distancing and all these things. Yoga perhaps has become more popular than ever before for a lot of people. So I th- it was I, I think it'd be it was great to be able to de- dedicate at least one episode, um, if not a mini-series, uh, to this uh, critical topic here. Oh, that's great. Yeah, thank you for the uh, introduction there, Sam. Um, I think we both highlighted just how timely and important we think it is um, to be talking about yoga as a practice and the culture surrounding yoga um, in this moment where so many people are turning to it for emotional and spiritual and mental as well as physical well-being um, in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, so I think it's really timely, but I do think there'll be some really solid insights that I hope you'll get from this mini series that will be uh, timeless uh, in, in an analysis of yoga and physical culture more broadly. Um, so we're really excited to bring it to you. Uh, I'm going to check back in at the end um, and just provide some more info, info and um, give you uh, directions to get to a, the blog post that goes along with this 
mini with this episode and then the other one to make the mini series. Um, but otherwise, I will not stand in the way any longer. I'll let you get to it, uh, and we hope you very much enjoy uh, this episode, the first of this mini series on yoga and yoga culture. Thanks. In June of 2020, we spoke over Zoom with Professor Andrea Jan, who's a scholar and expert on the history and consumer politics of yoga. Well, I'm Andrea Jan, and I'm an associate professor at Indiana University School of Liberal Arts, uh, IEPY in Indianapolis. And I'm the editor of the Journal of the American Academy of Religion. I'm also the author of Selling Yoga from Counterculture to Pop Culture, published with Oxford uh, in 2014, and uh, the forthcoming Peace Love Yoga, The Politics of Global Spirituality, which is due out with Oxford in July, this uh, next month. Professor Jan talked with us a little bit about the popularization of yoga in world history, particularly in the 20th century with the rise of mass consumerism and how it fueled this popularization. So yoga came to uh, really be a practice that was cohesive with a lot of popular values and ideas of uh, the growing consumer culture in the 20th century, where uh, people were coming to think about spirituality and religion and identity uh, as something that you constructed as an individual and were responsible as an individual for constructing. And so we, we came to use the discourse of personalized lifestyles or lifestyle choices. Uh, so lifestyle was something we chose as a consumer, like we would choose uh, you know, where we lived or what kind of house we lived in or what kind of car we drove. Uh, likewise, we choose our spiritual practices, our bodily practices, the food we eat. And uh, we, through these consumer choices, we come to construct a personalized lifestyle. And so during this, uh, especially the late 20th century, yoga gurus began to market yoga as one more consumer choice. Uh, this is something that you could choose to do and it was easily accessible for those of a certain um, socioeconomic status. You could uh, turn on your TV and watch a yoga program. You could buy a cheap paperback and learn, read about it at home or you could go to a neighborhood yoga studio. 
um, and practice yoga. And you didn't have to belong to a particular religious tradition or cultural tradition to practice yoga. Anyone could opt in uh, and you could combine it with other aspects of your personalized lifestyle, whether that be a Christian um, identity and attendance at church or uh, atheism or secularism as a, as a, uh, a self-identity. So it became easily combinable with um, other aspects of, of one's identity. As Professor Jan explains in this episode and in her book, Selling Yoga, the process of popularization, it speaks to the transnational and heterogeneous character of yoga as culture, as a cultural practice. The meaning of yoga has always been specific to its particular historical context. Well, when it comes especially to the popularization of yoga, uh, what was key to the global transnational popularization was the lifting of immigration restrictions, both in Western Europe and the United States in the 1960s. Um, and with, with those, we had this influx of yoga gurus who came um, and were came you know, traveled across the world uh, again both to Western Europe in the United States uh, Canada and also other parts of Asia uh, to disseminate their practices and uh, they were speaking to the growing and uh, counterculture at the time and so yoga was not yet a part of pop culture in the 1960s but it was during that time that it was able to be widely disseminated by yoga gurus um, who were speaking largely to a countercultural audience. Um, and then, of course, it, with its correspondence with, correspondences with consumer culture, which was increasingly uh, part of a global pop culture, um, it increasingly became popular. It, it went from being a sort of countercultural hippie practice um, to being something that suburban housewives could do, or you could uh, take a yoga class at a YMCA, or you saw yoga being taught in public schools from Japan to Canada to England to the United States. The uh, arguments I'm really pushing against in selling yoga is the idea that there is an authentic yoga tradition. And this is something you find, this idea that there is a authentic yoga, you find it in the critical scholarship on yoga, which uh, I, have, I found tended to uh, write off popularized forms of yoga as inauthentic because they're commodified. So for example, one of the things I heard when I was in graduate school uh, when I told people I was going to write my dissertation on modern yoga and I was interested in the popularization of yoga, uh, some of my, my, my colleagues in yoga studies would say, what, like how could you possibly take those you know, suburban housewives seriously, right? They, they're not doing anything, like, they're not doing real yoga. 
Uh, and I, I found it deeply offensive. And I thought there was a deep, uh, deeply misogynist element uh, to this idea that, that there's this authentic yoga that can be found in these elite male traditions. Um, but that what suburban housewives were doing, whether you know they described these practices as changing their lives, as transforming their bodies and transforming their attitudes toward themselves and their families. And, uh, and this is the way that a lot of people practicing pop culture yoga talk about it. The, you know, the idea that, that that's not serious yoga, um, I thought had to do with a sort of uh, refusal to take seriously um, what women we're practicing in religious contexts. Um, but, um, how that relates to the heterogeneity is that, you know, the, the idea in the book is that yoga, there was no, there was never one authentic yoga. Um, yoga was always heterogeneous, even in, you know, ancient South Asian contexts. Uh, there was always debate, uh, and disagreement over what constituted right yoga. And so even, even among what we now identify as Hindu traditions, even within those traditions, um, there was debate and difference across uh, communities. And, it, it, and then yoga was also practiced by Buddhists and Jains. Um, it was culturally South Asian, but didn't belong to any one particular religious tradition. Uh, and so that was my, you know, that was a key point in that book was to push against this idea that there's this authentic yoga out there. Professor Jan's new book, Peace, Love, Yoga, marks a transition in her research on yoga culture. Specifically, Peace, Love, Yoga takes a critical turn to the global cultural phenomenon. Jan explores, quote, the connections between the practices of global spirituality and the aspects of neoliberal capitalism. She details the ways in which yoga and other popular mindfulness practices have become these spiritual commodities that are marketed to consumers as seemingly alternatives to mainstream culture. Through this process of commodification and corporatization, spiritual commodities look like they are subverting the logic of the neoliberal capitalist order. They're emphasizing things like self-love and care, but they are subverting the neoliberal order, the neoliberal logic, through mere gestures. They're complete with provocative taglines printed across t-shirts, but the process of commodifying a spiritual practice is still a strategy through, quote, through which the subversion itself is colonized. So uh, in Peace Love Yoga, I analyze a number of growing spiritual industries, uh, but especially yoga, um, and their coherence with neoliberal capitalism. And I try to illuminate the power dynamics underlying what I call neoliberal spirituality. Um, So I'm arguing that uh, spiritual commodities are sold as solutions to low productivity or failures to achieve wealth and happiness, uh, but also failures to conform to gender and sexual norms. So if you're failing, you're failing to make enough money, you're failing to conjure up the energy to work full time and raise a family and take care of your health and perform gender correctly and you know have sexual prowess then take a yoga class study mindfulness Uh, i saw yoga and mindfulness and other spiritual commodities as increasingly sold sold as solutions 
to the problem of not achieving this sort of hyper-capitalist or hyper-individualized ideal of uh, consumer capitalism. Um, But unlike many studies of spirituality that reduce these commodities to numbing devices that um, consumers use to ignore the problems of capitalism, I saw ways in which uh, these commodities often also counter unbridled capitalism. And so, for example, you see uh, organic yoga wear uh, that's become very popular. Uh, these, these are ways of acknowledging the problems of capitalism. Uh, but what happens is these sort of subversions uh, against capitalism get contained through commodification. So uh, you buy the organic yoga wear and then that performs your anti-capitalism for you. You don't have to actually uh, do anything to, uh, to challenge the very you know, structures that lead to, say, environmental destruction. Um, and likewise with gender oppression uh, and other issues that I address, um, for example, mass incarceration, I talk about prison yoga, as a form of this kind of gestural subversion um, in the book as well. This critical look at the history and politics of yoga culture, we think it's pretty significant and something we need to consider and examine, particularly in this moment defined by the COVID-19 pandemic, the widespread influence of the Black Lives Matter movement. Peace Love Yoga, it offers a window into these important racial, colonial, gender, economic, political, and sociocultural dimensions of practices like yoga, other forms of mindfulness. Because they're not only cultural forms of cultural phenomena today, but they're also commodities. There's relevance for thinking about spirituality and yoga in the time of pandemic, but then also uh, in this, this time of the rising Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, in Peace Love Yoga, I also talk about the ways in which yoga has been used as an alternative um, mode of rehabilitation in prisons, in prison contexts, and how this is oftentimes envisioned as a sort of um, uh, alternative to more traditional uh, uh, interventions like AA. And uh, I critique this by pointing out that what this often, the kind of discourses around yoga and meditation and other spiritual practices in prison contexts, um, these discourses put the burden of rehabilitation on the shoulders of individuals. And so they concentrate on healing the broken individual um, in a way that puts the burden on that individual instead of undermining the structural program, uh, sorry, the structural problems that broke that person in the first place, such as systemic racism. Uh, And so that's just another example of the ways in which yoga can be a way of sort of gesturing toward uh, empowering the oppressed um, and acknowledging the the problem of, say, uh, the dehumanization of imprisonment uh, while uh, avoiding a structural critique.
One of the, one of the um, issues I talk about in Peace Love Yoga is cultural appropriation and the problems of cultural appropriation. Um, and uh, so there's, uh, so yoga outside of India is uh, largely marketed uh, to white consumers, um, especially outside of Asia, generally. Um, and this, we, you know, I mean, we, we see a sort of unapologetic appropriation of South Asian cultural symbols, uh, cultural language, such as Sanskrit terms like namaste or the symbol om. Um, and I talk about how uh, there is this is this is a there 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 are problematic racial dimensions to this. Um, there's this sort of unrecognized history of colonialism, uh, and this uh, this unreflective uh, cultural theft uh, without recognition or acknowledgement that by profiting off of uh, another cultural symbols, this first of all isn't just um, an isolated incident, it's tied to the history of colonialism and particularly the colon, uh, colonization of India. Um, and so, and, and, and it also has racial dynamics insofar as South Asians are oftentimes criticized for, for uh, adopting certain cultural practices. So for example, if a South Asian woman wears a sari, she might be seen as fashionably backward. Uh, whereas if a white woman wears a t-shirt with an Om symbol printed across it or Namaste written across it, she's perceived as fashion forward. And so one is, uh, is given more cultural cachet uh, than another, uh, whereas you know, the, the one with more cultural cachet in that case is, is culturally, un- unreflectively culturally appropriating. Um, from another. So it creates all of these inequities. Um, and then in terms of, uh, of anti-black racism, uh, that I address primarily through critique of, of mass incarceration, which I've already, already talked about. Uh, but mass incarceration um, affecting the black population in the United States, in particular, uh, far more than the than whites uh, and this uh, then then yoga becoming this way of so-called empowerment that actually doesn't do anything to dismantle racial social structures or sorry racialized social structures. Uh, the episode uh, the first of this mini series on yoga and yoga culture um, I thought it was absolutely fascinating I hope you did too uh, it's a great start to this little mini series for us um, I think it's incredibly timely uh, contribution we very much thank uh, Dr. Jan for, for talking to us and to sharing uh, her insights um, you know I look forward to to given her new text to read um i think there's a lot there to be explored and um 
you know, this conversation was just a, a tip of the iceberg into into this topic for us and, and the work that she's doing. Um, if you want more information uh, about where to find the book, more information about Dr. Jam, more information about the topic that we talked about today, you can go and check out our blog post. We have a blog post that goes with every episode that we do. Um, so you can find that at somaticpodcast.com. Um, you can find out more information about the show, about us, but also uh, specifically about the topic for this week. Um, if you've got any questions, there's a contact form on the website. You can get hold of us through that, or you can email us at... Uh, somaticpodcast at gmail.com um, or you can get hold of us on Twitter I check that intermittently um, try to stay away from Twitter as much as possible these days but nonetheless you can certainly drop us a message there and I will pick that up um, as well uh, otherwise you know um, I think it would be great uh, if you're interested and engaged with this idea and this topic to come back uh, and listen to the second part of our mini series um as well we talked to uh Shanice Jones Cameron um I think it gives a different perspective and kind of bookends out this topic um as well so definitely come back for that um otherwise all I have left to say is at the end of every one of these episodes is that this has been somatic <laughs> <laughs>